This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 7 down through 13. But we're going to focus on verses 11 through 13 today. Three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. These are words of life. This is God's Word. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here we have them. Verse 7, Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Recurring theme in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father in heaven, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus teaches us to pray daily for bread and deliverance. Pray daily for bread and deliverance. We've come over the last few weeks to the Lord's Prayer in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Next week will be our last message. I hope you'll not conclude your studies of this sermon. Hopefully we've just whetted your appetite. Even prominent atheists like The Sermon on the Mount. The late evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins wrote, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is way ahead of its time. His turn-the-other-cheek anticipated Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. by 2,000 years. Philosopher and atheist Daniel Dennett said, I think that actually Jesus makes a fine hero. In fact... We had some discussion of forming a group called Atheists for Jesus. Kind of like Vols for Christ. It's a joke. During World War II and talking about what he wanted the world to look like after the war, Churchill said nations would have a brief opportunity once the war ended to establish some principles that could be world-changing. It could make a difference 
so we could avoid all these wars. He thought they should relate to one another based more on Christian ethics. And he said, the more closely we follow the Sermon on the Mount, the more likely we are to succeed in our endeavors. How nice. But remember, Jesus isn't teaching atheists in Matthew 6. I don't think Richard Dawkins or Winston Churchill understood this sermon or the preacher of this sermon, Jesus Christ, the way you can and should. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching you, the church, if you're a Christian. This isn't teaching for international relations or how to be a nice ethical person. It's so often been misunderstood. It's not a sermon about how to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's about how those in the kingdom live. If you don't remember anything else, remember that about this sermon. It's about life in the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's as Churchill would have understood, it's, it's in the dominion where God is the king. How does a person enter this kingdom? They, they enter by faith. They enter by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting the gospel. They trust in Christ. He becomes their treasure. And then their name for God is Father. Matthew 13, Jesus told a parable the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found, covered up, and then in his joy he goes, sells all that he has so he can buy that field because he wants that treasure. That's who Jesus is teaching. Those in the kingdom have been born again. They're children of God. And that's why the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, cherished be your name, revered be your name. He's teaching us how to pray. No doubt these men that I quoted weren't thinking of prayer when they spoke so highly of the Sermon on the Mount. The great treasure of the kingdom is fellowship with God in Christ. And if you enjoy a relationship with God, the Lord's Prayer may be the best part of the Sermon on the Mount to you. It may be the most important moment in the sermon. Because it's about prayer. It's about communion. It's about fellowship with God in Christ. I want to begin, before we look at the three petitions, I want to begin by sharing just what hit me the most as, as I've been diving into the Lord's Prayer over the last few months. What struck me was Jesus' emphasis on praying every day. Look in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, I think we can understand it. And this day. Forgive us our debts as we 
this day also have forgiven our debtors. And this day, lead us not into temptation, but this day, deliver us from evil. That's, that's how the Lord's Prayer hit me this time. Not that I didn't think we should pray every day, but there was just an emphasis here of every day, and it's really affected me. In studying the Lord's Prayer these last few months, the main difference has been how much I need to pray daily. These requests, these three petitions. Jesus is teaching us a profound lesson here in this about faith and our dependence on God, our Father. Every day prayer. That's what I titled this message. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything we need. We, we tend to think we can pray and then the Lord will just provide bread for the rest of our lives. But Jesus didn't teach his disciples to pray for lifetime supplies. He wants us to pray what we need for this day. And then tomorrow we pray for that day. And we don't worry about tomorrow today. We pray for today. What, what I treasured when the Lord saved me was not a relationship with God. That was not my treasure prior to Him saving me. I, I think the great evidence of conversion was God became my Father. And I had this relationship. And the Lord's Prayer is a reminder. It's inviting us to fellowship with God every day. Make it your goal each day to get your soul, as one man said, happy in Jesus. Not just to pray, not just to read your Bible, but to get your soul happy. Every day. Remember the Israelites? The Lord wanted to provide for them each day. It was important. Exodus 16, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread. Remember the manna from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. They needed everyday manna, everyday bread. And in a sense, so do we. They, they wanted to collect enough for the week, but the Lord did not allow them to do that. And I hear that in the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't, doesn't mean we can't shop at Costco. Doesn't doesn't mean we can't buy huge amounts of everything that's not the point doesn't mean that every day we have to go you know at zero material possessions no savings what what he's after is that we be poor in spirit he wants us to live in light of our dependence on him every moment of every day he wants us to have this trusting relationship and realize we need him every day he wants us to have that Sense where I want, I want to pray really continually. Because I need to. He's my Father in heaven. He's inviting me to come and I need Him. I was fishing on the Yellowstone River in the Hayden Valley in Yellowstone National Park. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I hooked a big cutthroat trout. And as I was 
trying to land this fish. There was a little family that was in Yellowstone on vacation. And they, I, I heard them come into the parking lot, walk down to the river on the other side. And I heard the dad say to all the kids, Look, kids, he's got a big trout on. And I had a hard time getting that fish to my net. It's hard. None of you could ever do this, by the way. <laughs> well, you'll never hook him, much less catch him. But I, I realized quickly I had a gallery. I had an audience. Because as I, was, I could hear the oohs and aahs. And at one point, I got him right up to me. You have your net on the back of your vest. I pulled it out. I netted him. I got him almost in the net. And then he flopped off. And I heard the, the family, ah! <laughs> Whenever I'm fighting a big fish, this is my point. I find myself praying. I, I am praying, oh, Lord, please, please, don't let him get off, Lord, please. It's so easy for him to get off. Oh, Lord, don't let him break my line. Lord, he's coming back to the net. Lord, let him go in the net. Lord, please. I wanted those folks to be excited that I'd caught that fish. And when I finally did, when he finally did come back and I did get him in the net, I heard, hey! my finest moment <laughs> now that does that sound silly to you it is certainly unimportant that you catch a fish I mean it's hard to say it but it's unimportant but that kind of impulse to just pray to continually pray I think is what Jesus is saying to us when he says daily prayer, daily requests. You're praying to your Father in heaven. If my earthly father had been on the bank of the Yellowstone River and I thought he could help, I would have yelled for him to help. Why wouldn't I yell to my heavenly Father who loves me? I will say he often says no when I have a big fish on but we need to pray continually. That, that's what landed on me in this study of the Lord's Prayer. So I don't think the Lord is discouraging me from having this kind of sense that I can cry out to God for small things. Listen to the Lord's Prayer. Let's look at these three petitions. Remember, there are six petitions. We've already looked at three of them that focused on our relationship to God and His glory. Now these three are related to our good. Number one, give us our daily bread. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We, we have access to our Father in heaven because of Christ, and we're asking every day for what we need. Little things like food, bread, God is glorified by our needs. Zach read Psalm 50, verse 15 today. Call on me in the day of trouble. 
I will answer you and you will honor me. He is honored by our need. He cares for us. Prayer is an expression of being poor in spirit, of humility. And in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is laying it out for all time, for those who would be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, He commands us to ask Him for what we need. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. When we ask for daily bread, when we make these requests, we actually honor the Lord. We're not just praying for personal happiness. We're not just praying for security, welfare, health, comfort, all our personal interests. We're we're praying for these things. Remember the first three petitions. For His namesake. For his, that's the context, we're God-centered as we make these requests for his kingdom, for his will. Father in heaven, give us nourishment, protect us in this life so we can honor your name. So we can live for your kingdom in a manner worthy of your kingdom. So that we can obey your will. We ask for everything. That God already knows. He knows what we need before we ask. He knows and recognizes these things are good. They're useful for us. We need them. He cares for us. He protects us. And Jesus is teaching us to exercise our faith. To pray every day that he'll provide even these little things, these petty things. We we worry. We tend to worry more about our physical needs than our spiritual needs, but we worry. We get anxious. He talks so much in the Sermon on the Mount, remember, about anxiety. But we cast these burdens to the Lord. And the peace of God that passes comprehension guards our heart, guards our mind. We're not praying for excessive material possessions, excessive money, prosperity. We're not trying to have all these good things so we can misuse them, so that we can spend them on personal pleasures or trying to impress other people or so that we can pursue things that are useless, that are vain. We're praying for what we need that we might live for His glory. It's a good moment just to pause and and let the Spirit search us for love of money. Love of pleasure, love of comfort and ease. Let let the Spirit search us for idolatry. Do, Do I love something or someone more than I should? Has has someone or something become an idol in my life? Meaning that I really worship this thing. That's what I treasure. Let the Spirit search us and let's repent of that.
But let's, let's recognize we're being invited by God who loves us, our Father in heaven, to pray and, and He will provide our food, our shelter, good things to enjoy. He will give us good things. Your lives, most of you in here, if not all of you, your lives are filled with good things. You're looking forward to this afternoon, and you should. And then give thanks because He gives it to you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus said, ask and you will receive so that your joy will be full. We don't want to forget the Lord and our wealth. We don't want to profane His name because we're in poverty, which we can do. We want to pray that He would provide what we need. We shouldn't be afraid to pray for food. We shouldn't be afraid to pray for shelter, for a home, for a place to live. Your Father in heaven cares about these things. He's not, Jesus isn't teaching us to pray for ex, ex, excessive provision. Kevin DeYoung in his book on the Lord's Prayer said, We're not commanded to ask for our daily cake. Praying, give us this day our daily bread, means asking God for the things necessary. And he, he wants to fill our stomachs. He wants to fill our hearts. And at, at the end of the day, there'll be a great, Lord, thank you. You provided richly all these things for me to enjoy today in answer to prayer. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. And you, desire, and, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Just remember, that's what's happening today. We're looking to him and he's giving us. And when you, when you have lunch today, say, Lord, thank you. You've provided for me. When our refrigerator is full of food and our bank account is in good shape, we should come to God every day and pray for daily bread. Only a fool doesn't recognize how fragile life is. So often the case, isn't it? When things seem to be going so well. We learn how vulnerable we are. In my relatively short life, time on this earth I've watched this pendulum enough to know life is fragile I remember certain things that stick in my mind you know September 11th 2001 the fear I remember a number of different financial collapses where the stock markets plummeted. I never cared when I was a kid, but when I was an adult, I cared. It's, it's a roller coaster. 
Churches are fragile. They're like puzzles. Take a long time to build, easy to tear up. As a church, we've watched, walked through difficult times, hard times, conflicts, gossip and slander. We've lost friends. It's been hard. Churches are fragile. Your personal life is fragile. There's been a number of people over the last six months who have lost people that they dearly love. Life can feel out of control. The Lord's Prayer is calling us to the rock. Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's the invitation this morning. Go to the rock. You have been my refuge. A strong tower against the enemy. It's true, Lord. Number two, second petition for our good, forgive us our debts. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If we're going to enjoy fellowship with God, we must often come to Him confessing our sins, asking for grace, for forgiveness, and we must forgive those who sin against us. We, we need daily bread that we might live, and as one man said, daily forgiveness that we might not die. We need to ask for daily grace for our sins. I hope you heard Greg's prophetic word. No hide and seek. We don't have to hide and seek. We can be forgiven of our sins. Every day we, we live as debtors to mercy. We have sins that need to be forgiven, don't we? Every day, every single debt, every single sin deserves to be met with God's righteous anger. Actually, if you observe things spiritually, if you're discerning, you will see God's wrath today. Every sin deserves to be met with God's righteous anger. We have many debts we owe to God. These are debts we cannot pay. Jesus calls sins debts because the penalty of our sins is owed to God. It's owed to His justice. It's a payment we can't pay. And if our sins are going to be remitted, if we're going to be forgiven, it will be because of God's Mercy, he generously forgives our debt. His mercies never fail. In, in his mercy, he himself pays what is owed in the person of his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He once and for all offered himself to satisfy the demands of God's justice. We're a debtor to mercy. 
If we try to work out our own salvation, if we try to gain God's forgiveness with our merits, with keeping the law, whatever law that might be, we're, we're appealing to his justice. We're coming to God and we're relating to him as a judge. Jesus is calling us to relate to him as a father. We're people who have been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We don't come to him as a judge. We come to him as a father. We, we wouldn't go to a judge and say one more thing, but we would go to a father that we've displeased. It's a relationship. We would go to a father and say, I've, I've done something that wouldn't please you. All the parents in here have probably had a kid confess something that was weighing heavy on them. I, I have a, we have a classic case in our family. One, one, one kid, the most compliant kid, the most obedient kid. But he did something. It was weighing on his con conscience for a long time. And finally, one day, he said, Dad, I need to talk to you. I remember going into his room. They couldn't get the words. He was very emotional. Couldn't get the words out of his mouth. And he confessed. He had sinned. It's never the crime. It's always the cover-up. He had, he had sinned, and he had lied. He went months with this awful burden. And then he told me what he had done. He had read Ranger Rick in bed. My immediate thought was, do you know what your siblings have been doing? <laughs> hey, this is nothing, kid. you got nothing to worry about. Look, you're golden. These guys, on the other hand, they need to be meeting with me, and they're not meeting with me. That's another story. You kidding me? But it was about a relationship. Oh, he did not like lying to his dad. We don't relate to God as a judge. <clears throat> We've been justified once and for all. But we relate to him as a father, and sometimes we don't please him. Is your relationship with God being affected by unconfessed sin? Do you lack joy? Go here. Don't play hide and seek. You don't need to. Come and confess your, your sins. Maybe one of the things weighing on you is that you are angry and bitter with those who have sinned against you. One of the toughest things we face as believers. Because in this kingdom, we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's the tough part. Forgiven people forgive. The unforgiving person is an unforgiven person. If you don't forgive, you ought to wonder if you have ever truly experienced forgiveness. The one who knows that his sins have been forgiven by God will be eager 
to forgive those who sin against him. Matthew adds, if you look in verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he doubles down. We forgive our debtors. We pardon those who have somehow wronged or harmed us. We don't have, it's not our place to forgive the guilt of their sin. Our forgiveness means we're not angry. We don't hate. And we don't desire vengeance. Being a pastor of a church, a fragile church, that goes through things like we've been through, if you are a pastor in those situations, you get sinned against. You get mistreated. Now, I'm sure there's people that have been treated worse than me, but I have been mistreated over the years. Wah, wah. <laughs> That's not my point. I have been mistreated. I am not allowed to be angry. I pray for my enemies regularly. And I often tell people, and I give all, God glory, it's a miracle. I, I'm not a bitter man. I'm not an angry man. I don't hold offense against anyone. The thing I love to think about is you can't have my joy. You can't have it. I won't give it to you. I forgive you. If we are angry, if we hate others, if we want vengeance, we're asking God in the Lord's prayer not to forgive our sins. Now, I'm going to tell you, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. Some of you right now, even as we're talking about this, you're thinking thought, thoughts that are hateful thoughts towards your enemies, towards people that have sinned against you. I think this is a good moment for you. I think the Lord wants to communicate to you that he can set you free from hatred and unforgiveness. I uh, recently, because I just can't do anything else, I started swimming for exercise it's the first time I'd ever done this, swimming laps in a pool. I grew up swimming in creeks and rivers, thought I was a good swimmer. But I will say this, and you'll never hear me say this again, city folks are better than country folks when it comes to swimming. They, they know about swimming. I took this lesson, and as it didn't take me long to go, man, I, I'm a horrible swimmer. And one of the things most striking to me was that you have these things called kickboards and you just use your legs. And I was kicking with the kickboards. And, you know, after a while, I was like, I'm not moving here. I mean, not moving at all. I mean, at one point I told the teacher, you know, I'm going to drown here. You know, this, this could get ugly. And so she was a very nice lady and she pulled me aside after the class, said, get some fins. 
So I went and bought these fins. They're like six feet long. And man, I can motor with those fins. If you came to the pool now, you would be impressed. Man, my feet, I'm kicking those fins. I'm just flying back and forth on those, in those laps. The point is, fins enabled me to do something I still can't do. The Lord isn't pointing out how difficult it is to forgive people who have sinned against us. He's not minimizing sin. The whole context is the Sermon on the Mount. Don't forget that. We need the power understood to be present in the citizens of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, to do this. You can't do this, but he can do this in you. John Calvin, the Lord taught that God excludes from among his children those who, quick to seek revenge and slow to forgive, persist in their enmities and who, maintaining their ill will and animosity against their neighbor, ask God to overlook And forget his hostility toward them. They should not be so bold therefore. In invoking him as father. Number three. Final petition for our good. Lead us not. Into temptation. But deliver us. From evil. Verse 13. Lead us not. Lord every day. Lord. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Every day. We need to pray this. Are you aware? Am I aware? Do we remember? We're on a dangerous journey. And we have a powerful enemy. Every day. Lord, lead me not into temptation today. Deliver me from evil. Jesus taught his disciples that we need our Father's help because there is danger within us and there is danger outside of us, all around us. This prayer teaches us about ourselves. This is every human being needs God's provision, God's pardon, and God's protection. We need food, we need our sins, our debts paid. And we have to fight evil in this fallen world, temptations. We're going to be tried and tested. That's not sin in and of itself, but we can be tempted and we can compromise. The world, the flesh, the devil. We can give in. These are enticements to sin, and we're praying, Lord, do not lead me into enticements where I'm going to sin against you. James 1 says, each person is tempted when he is lured, and he is enticed by his own desire, by remaining sin. 
Look, we've been born again. We have a new nature. But sin remains. And we have to battle sin. And we have an enemy who is evil, who wants to separate us from God, who wants us to be discouraged, who wants us to sin against Him. He does not want us to honor His name, to cherish His name, to exalt Him, to magnify Him. We need to pray every day, deliver us from evil. The Lord tests. The Lord will test us and try us. But he doesn't test and try us like Satan's does. Satan's goal is to damn us, condemn us, ruin us, destroy us. God tests us to prove us, to encourage our faith, to strengthen our faith. He will allow a trial. He will allow a temptation for the good purpose of building our faith. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we pray for that. In the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Again, John Calvin committed to his care. And fortified by his protection and defense. We may have victory over sin. Death. Gates of hell. And the devil's entire domain. That is what it is. To be delivered from the evil one. Amen. Pray daily. Pray daily. Cornerstone Church. Pray daily. Pray every day. Pray for God to provide what you need. Don't be anxious. Pray. Don't be hopeless. Don't lose heart. Pray. Pray for provision. Pray for forgiveness. Forgive those who have sinned against you by the grace of God. Pray that you can overcome temptation. Pray that you'll be delivered from the evil one every day. Father, it's writing good this morning for us to ask for your help in light of the Lord's Prayer. Thank you for this prayer, Lord. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Thank you for the invitation that you're giving us. Thank you for allowing us to have access to you, Lord, everyday prayer is possible because you've made a way in Jesus Christ, in the gospel. We can come, we can have fellowship with you, Lord. Lord, I pray for every person in this auditorium that they would know 
they are being invited by you to come into your presence. Lord, thank you. We have access to you and we can make our requests. Fill this church with faith, Lord. Let it be a praying church. And may your name be honored. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.